on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're doing it. We are actually doing it. Finally, after 65 episodes, we are actually reviewing The Expanse. More importantly, Terry and Boyd have watched The Expanse and you're not going to want to miss this one. But we're a broad church here at the Pilot TV podcast, sometimes literally, and there's something here for everyone. So to that end, we will also be pandering to Terry's particular taste as we will be tackling the latest season of Law and Order SVU, which I was forced to sit through as presumably some kind of payback. Oh, and we're also investigating a very personal cold case alongside Laura Fraser and Martin Comston in Traces. And, and on top of that, we welcome Rupert Grint to the pod booth as he stopped by to talk all things servant with our very own Beth Webb. What a week. I'm James Dyer and welcome to this very special episode of the Pilot TV podcast. And lest we delay the expanse goodness by even a minute more than is absolutely necessary, I think let's do away with convoluted introductions and simply say, Terry, you're here. Boyd, you too are here and you've both watched The Expanse and I can tell by your faces you're pretty fucking excited about it. Hang on, we are not jumping to reviews. No, we're not reviewing it. It's okay. like a preview. Like it's um, a special tease. I wouldn't be surprised if you did jump to reviews knowing your maverick way right. you host this All right. thing. <laughs> no. I, I like to get you on your toes. It's almost like you haven't written this bit of the script, James. Almost. You're making this almost. Terry, never show people how the sausage is made. <laughs> Especially after the HR incident on last week's podcast. Oh, yeah, I think you're on very thin ice. <laughs> That was a error. Yes, a slip of the tongue. Of the I believe tongue. is what you said on Twitter, a which slip was of the tongue. another unfortunate turn of phrase. But mm-hmm. but what have you been watching? So uh, you know the answer to this because we've talked about it greatly. I do know the answer this, to this. week, which is last weekend, as threatened on the uh, pilot TV podcast last week. Last weekend, I finished Servant, and on both of these shows, we should say that the kind of tail end episodes are still embargoed, so we can't talk about them in detail. But I finished Servant, which was incredible. There was a really eerie moment where, so I watched all of Servant, and then I was sat in my um, in my front room on the settee, and I look up, and I have this "It's a Boy" celebratory balloon, which was given to me at my um, not a baby shower, and it somehow become detached from the rest of the balloons and just floated down the stairs in this really eerie way, um, which proper spun me out. Uh, but then I especially because there's up. a balloon element of the I show. Know, right? Single solitary balloon is one what of the, the great visual motifs. Yeah. M. Night has been in my house and it's <laughs> fucking with me. Are you going to name the child Jericho? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. But I might name it a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I followed that up this week. I stayed up until um, three o'clock in the morning watching all of the morning show. Yes. Which was... And do you know what? I talked about this on Instagram. I said how much I loved it and how sad I was that it was over, for me at least. Quite a few people messaged me saying, oh, really? Like, I'm not convinced having mm. read the reviews. And and it's... People have got this... They're quite lukewarm on it or they've read stuff and think it's not that great. The last... Two episodes, especially the two embargoed episodes that we can't talk about. The two, all I can say is <laughs> that they are a whole other level, and that the whole series I just think is utterly remarkable. Jennifer Aniston, fuck me. I mean, she—it's the performance of her career, like without a doubt, and such an interesting character. And I'm sure we'll get into this more on the rev- kind of end of year podcast we end up doing. But it's been one of the shows of the year for me. And I'm still thinking about it and I'm still sad that it's over. Mm. Um, so I've spent most of the week not sleeping and watching Apple TV 
episodes. I agree 100% with that. I thought the morning show was fantastic. And it kind of boggles my mind that people, not everyone agrees, really. But there is a movement. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying it gets better and better and people are reacting to it. And and people renouncing their initial um, doubts doubts about it much like, like proper, you did with Giri Haji yeah people with people with good tastes <laughs> are yeah, but, that. It, but it is a show that builds momentum I think it's one that, that you know yeah it's first episode does not in any way no. let you know how good it's going to no, be no absolutely yeah, mm. yeah. but I mean critics like, I've seen quite you know American critics kind of saying it actually gets better and I was, mm-hmm. I was people people are getting into that I was wrong about okay, the show good. Thing. Good. I've seen that a few times I mean you talked about this last week James but the the nuance with which it handles the Me Too stuff mm. And, and it, it's there from the beginning, but the way that deepens and the really difficult, thorny story it tells, which goes in ways you don't imagine and becomes dark in ways you don't imagine. And I think it, I actually think it's one of the best handlings and representations of the Me Too movement. Mm. Um, seen on TV or film yet, and a lot of people have tried it. And I'm sure we'll get into this when it gets to SVU. Yes, we've got one yes. today. It's almost but as if we've got exciting. the two different ends of the scale. And I think um, I am. I think it's done. It's one of the things that is most realistic, but is also truly without tropes, without kind of anything problematic and um, agenda pushing. It's really got into the truth of the messiness and the complicated nature of, of most of the incidents around the Me Too movement with just with such brilliant detail and with such kind of integrity mm. um, and yes that's all I've got to say in it it's but. very 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 good well you're following in my footsteps uh, this week and I'm following in Boyd's footsteps because I am now up to date with Watchmen because oh, uh, yeah. I've been a bit behind on that because of the overwhelming amount of television <laughs> I've had to watch but really Watchmen is extraordinary Absolutely extraordinary. And in particular, I think you mentioned this, and episode six is uh, blew my mind just on yeah. so many levels. And I can't talk about any of this because I won't spoil it for anyone, but episode six is... Six has been on already. Yes, it has. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but for people who are... Right. As oh, I, yeah, no, behind, yeah. I won't yeah. go into any plot details, but I think episode six was just a, an incredible hour of TV. I mean, seven, also really, really good. So it's kind of... It's just getting better as it goes along, but six but six for me has been the standout episode. I think that's, that's, that's great. And Watchmen, again, that's going in my absolute... Yeah, hits of the year list. It's uh, it's far far better than I ever dreamed it would be. And Damon, it looks like Damon Lindelof would have would have created two really like proper because Leftovers is an all time classic. Shows, yeah, it has got a lot in common with Leftovers. Like if you don't, I've never read Watchmen the 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 original thing. What is it? Comic book? Comic? What do we call it? Graphic Graphic novel? novel. Um, Whatever. But for me, this show is like the Leftovers season Mm. four or five. Because it's like it's got so many themes in common. Yeah. But it's um, more accessible than The Leftovers. Is the, it? Yeah, I think so. The Leftovers is Maybe. exceptional, but it's really bleak. And yeah. sometimes it can feel like a struggle, I find. Whereas this is really deep, has loads of subtext. It's incredibly well made, but it also skips along. Like, it's really entertaining mm. as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you ever feel bored. Oh, yeah, the Jeremy Iron stuff, the Jeremy, uh, hilarious. Every <laughs> single scene that he's yeah. in is absolutely hilarious. It is. It's it's it is, yeah. is batshit mental. I've been watching stuff that's embargoed as well. Listeners are going to be so annoyed, yeah. but you know what? This is exactly this is what I have to do. I haven't got time to watch. You know, I haven't even got time to watch The Apprentice. I mean, you haven't got time to watch TV with the plebs. It's annoying. <laughs> Steady. <laughs> so I have been watching 
I've been watching Sex Education Season 2. Totally embargoed, can't review it. But all I will say is the show itself, this is my way of getting around any embargo, the show itself, series Season 1, which I'm sure will be in a lot of people's um, best of the year list, the way it deals with young people and sexuality and their issues and all of that is so brilliantly smart and on and just and daring and bold and and uh confident uh, all of those elements are so phenomenal i think it's 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 a proper like i think it's done it in a way that's somehow different from euphoria you know because euphoria takes a very intense it does it it makes it makes everything seem funny the show itself not season two necessarily um but there are new characters the show brings in characters it paints portraits of 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 people makes them feel three-dimensional within about 10 seconds of you meeting them which is Mm. such an incredible trick so yeah i've been watching that um and dracula um which is a been confirmed in the I'll be talking about the Christmas schedules more in, in the news but it's going to show three consecutive nights starting New Year's Day 90 minutes each which is a bold bit of scheduling mm. by the BBC because that's a big commitment by people but I, from what I've seen I think I don't, I don't think Dracula is embargoed actually so I can't but I'm sure we'll review it in depth but I already am loving it and it's completely it's absolutely from the people who brought you Sherlock in the mm. way that they find inventive incredibly inventive ways of 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 um, tweaking an absolutely all-time classic, iconic role of Dracula as they did with Sherlock. It's, it's, it's really Have you seen the whole thing? I've seen the first two episodes. Mm. Very, very good. And okay. in fact, this goes out on Monday, doesn't it? Which is not only um, which is the day I, uh, to, to, to come clean, the day I host the Dracula screening, but also my birthday. Ah, right. Oh, okay. yeah. boys. Yeah. Very good. What will uh, Britbox be getting you for your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I've already got the Game of Thrones box set from HBO. That was good. Blu-ray. Very good. Yeah, very good. Um, you know what our listeners probably haven't been watching? The Expanse. Because it turns out it turns out that my slightly tongue-in-cheap synopsis last week put off a load of people who really wanted to watch it. Oh, and then I heard James banging it's on weird, about though. it, and it's really put me off. Yeah. I should mention, I, I mean, I was deliberately playing up the daftness in that. It's much better than I made it sound. But I'm spoiling the rest of the podcast. You, we'll get on to that. We will hear about The Expanse later on. There's no need for expanseness now. What we- I, did, I do say, though, I did enjoy you managing to put off diehard fans <laughs> by being insufferable. That was fairly... It's kind, of, it's kind of my thing, isn't it? <laughs> You've got a captive audience and yeah. you managed to uh, to send them fleeing. We were saying I'm like I'm the anti-hype Very man. <laughs> yeah. Like studio, the studio should get me in to just make things fail. I'm like William H. Macy in the cooler. That's my gift. James. Um, <laughs> and speaking of which <laughs> The Pilot TV Podcast is once again brought to you by His Darker Materials, available exclusively on Spotify. This is the perfect companion to your watch-through of the Beeb's His Dark Materials. His Darker Materials goes through the show episode by episode, and among the special guests, which, lest we forget, have featured the likes of uh, Dakota Blue Richards, Clark Peters, Joe Tamberg, uh, you will now find the legendary Ruth Wilson, who guests on the latest instalment to talk all things Mrs. Coulter and what it's like to own an evil monkey. Presented by Empire's very own Helen O'Hara and the Cinemiles Dave Corkery, this is a storming listen for lyrophiles and anyone who wants to brush up on their demonology. Uh, And rest assured that both me and my condescending giraffe will be tuning in as well. So make sure you check out his darker materials, available exclusively on Spotify, where you can also find this fine podcast as well. Right, I believe it's time for news. (laughs) 
That was what's wrong with you? That was a great segue. <laughs> well, I think we should. Um, Boyd brought it up already. Christmas yes. schedules. Yeah. Didn't you go through the Christmas I, schedules last no, week? I, no, I went. No, it's in stages, James. <laughs> um, uh, those of us who spent our lives working on TV listings will tell but you that. But this has caused the BBC lineup released caused a bit of. Um, yeah. Uh, consternation. Tell me why, because I don't know anything about this. Because it's a lot of rubbish. rubbish. <laughs> what, like, like Doctor like, Who? Just and... like, no, it's a lot of repeats. So I think people are making the point, which I think is fair enough, that there are quite a few repeats. <laughs> Somebody said, have I woken up in 1971? So, <laughs> for example, on the BBC's, um, this is Christmas Day we're talking about, right? So you go, 4.40, Strictly Come Dancing Christmas Special. I'm fully on board with that, clearly. <laughs> 6 p.m., Michael McIntyre's Big Christmas Show. <clears throat> 7 p.m., Call the Midwife. 8.30, Gavin and Stacey, which is, yeah. the, which is the bit everybody the, is unified the, about. The live Christmas, yeah. Then there's EastEnders. Then it's Mrs. Brown Boy's Christmas Special. Then it's the two Ronnie's Christmas fucking sketchbook. But that isn't that like I mean, 10 to 12 or something, to be fair. It, but, like... 10.30, Mrs. Brown's Boys. Mrs. Brown's Boys is the most popular 15, the TV Ronnie's. comedy of recent... You, right. if, I even, mean, I'm not... That's an indictment it. of British society. Even being TV's Boyd Hilton, mm. do you think this is an exciting Christmas Day lineup? No. I think, well, I think compared to last year's, because of Gavin and Stacey, last year it was exactly the same, but without Gavin and Stacey. I mean, Gavin think and about Stacey that for a saves, minute. saves yeah. them. Gavin saves and Stacey them. totally saves them. Um, you know, when, and bearing in mind that they wrote, they created that, um, Ruth Ruth Jones and um, James Corden decided to do that off their own bat mm. without telling the BBC. This is absolutely true. So the BBC like, have been gifted the yeah. greatest gift of all time to, to enliven that, as you say. The problem with it is, is they're not actually, apart from the two runners, which is obviously see repeat from whatever but those are all new episodes but they have been doing the same thing for about five or six years now like it's always called the midwife it's always mrs brown's boys you know those and it's always strictly and that and is all, tedious i mean michael mcintyre and, 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 michael and been on the mrs last brown years. yeah in within the same day yeah. is just too much tedium but, for you me. know it's 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 family friendly Comedy, that's all they need. But it is, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I, it's, 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 un, it's unimaginative, to it, say the least. Is this Michael McIntyre stand-up? Doing stand no, no, no. He does a it? he does a Saturday night entertainment show, which actually oh, is a very it, it, it's actually a, a very popular and good, you know, kind of pop, modern day variety show. But didn't know that it's been going for, oh, for years. Do you want to hear my so. Michael McIntyre impression? Right. So uh, me and uh, me and <laughs> I my... never thought. I, I have to say, of all the things that were going to happen today, <laughs> Terry doing a Michael McIntyre impression was not one I was expecting. So um, uh, me and my wife, uh, we went to a department store, and she said, uh, "Excuse me." Uh, dear lady, can I get this in a size uh, eight? This is brilliant. And I said, darling, what size eight shoe? Like what? That's not even a joke. Is that actually his material? Did you just make that? That's very up? close to a joke. I can't actually come to terms with this. So, <laughs> this Michael McIntyre wow. invasion of. Yeah. Full disclosure: um, a good friend of mine produces the show. Yeah, there you go. You don't. I thought you could say Michael McIntyre was a no, close. I mean, I, I didn't know him quite well. Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, Michael McIntyre went to school with a friend of mine. That's more interesting. Can I just, this 
to suddenly become tangential ways in which we don't know Michael McIntyre personally. We heart Michael McIntyre. How did, Terry, how do you not know Michael McIntyre? I, yeah. did, I did go on a trip to the opening of Sour House Miami. <laughs> with, did. With, with, did you? with James Gordon, Michael McIntyre um, and a couple of other people. Well, this is the world's worst road trip. What? Yeah, now you're Hang slagging on. him off. What? What? Hang on. Is that- Soho House Miami. It's like like the shit spin-off series. I'm confused. But that's, there are Soho Houses all over the world. Why did you get invited to the Miami one? <laughs> because I was editing a magazine at the time, and which She's they thought was relevant for. a highly valued VIP member. And so I, I don't actually belong. I actually am not a member of Soho oh. House either. They so just out. invited well. me f- for the weekend for a for the soft launch. Oh. Um, and that's that. That's my story. Um, other stuff that's on at Christmas <laughs> <laughs> includes, first of all. Um, Lost in Space, right? Season two. Yeah. It drops drops on um, in full on Netflix on Christmas Eve. They are. I mean, this is my interpretation, right? They do not give a flying shit about this show anymore. It's weird. It seems how little like not bothered about Pope promoting it barely acknowledging its existence it's odd considering what a big mm. flagship thing it was season mm. one and the incredible budget it felt like or at least I think I'm sure it was like a huge showcase thing and now it's like oh, season two well Good I imagine you. they've just they're all hands to battle sessions dealing with the modern marvel that is the witcher and <laughs> right, therefore right. don't yeah. have any time left over <laughs> yeah, to deal right. with the likes of that and more excitingly you season two the brilliantly pulpy mm. um, thing that's boxing day I, they do time these things brilliantly so that boxing day is perfect perfect for you because you're going to want to just sit there vegging out and watching this tr- brilliant c- trash for eight hours at least now we have a we have a slight you issue here do we? and that is i still haven't seen season one of you i've been meaning to do it it's been on my watch list all year and i still haven't done it so Get on board. but i really want to to the extent where i refuse to watch season two until i've seen at least well, some yes. of season one so i'm gonna try and see if i can binge watch the first season of you before we do this. That's that's okay. going to be my challenge. I mean, yeah. It's just that it's not very you. I don't know. I think you'll quite like it. I think <laughs> I you'll... It's, it's, see, it's, it's you, but not very me. I think yeah. it could be quite you, you. I think it's you could be quite not it's, him. It's not me? It's not, me? It? It's not yeah, him. I like not you. It. Did you like the... What was the, uh, you know, the really pulpy other thing on Netflix? What, what, um, what, 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 with, what the... What uh, Rene Zellweger yes. thing. Did you watch that? Did I, you like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's I, a bit like that. Oh, okay, maybe yeah, you won't like it. All right, well, I'll watch the first episode and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think it's going to anger you. Uh, maybe it'll anger you. Yeah. Okay. okay, well, that's maybe other Anyway, but he it. moves to LA is what happens without spoiling anything. Because um, it was all New York set, very much, season one. Season two is set in New York. He moves to LA for various reasons that won't I won't spoil. Okay. Um, and it's that alone makes it interesting because that means it takes it into, like, kind of ludicrous LA territory. I'll say no more. Um... Other stuff that's on at Christmas. So there's, there are really good new dramas on, mostly on, almost entirely on the BBC. But not, mm. but like, so The Trial of Christine Keeler, which I've seen some of, starts on um, Sunday the 29th, and they're showing two episodes of that a week. Um, we've mentioned Dracula. Doctor Who is confirmed for um, New Year's New Day, Day yeah. 6.55 p.m., James. Mark it, mark it well. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, and A Christmas Carol, the Stephen Knight version... The star-studded Stephen Knight version in that is also showing on um, three nights in a row, starting on Sunday the twenty-second of December, and I'm sure we'll be reviewing that probably maybe even in next week's show. Ooh, yeah. exciting! So there is a lot of good stuff on <laughs> ITV. If you're on ITV, did I mention this last week? They're mainly showing um, the Chase. Wow! The celebrity specials of the Chase with Bradley Walsh. The Chase. Now, this feels like something you've explained to me before. <laughs> the and Chase I've is a oh phenomenon. God. 
Oh my god! A, no, you don't need TV to tell me. quiz it's show phenomenal. No, please, I really want to watch yeah. this. Um, it's 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 become it's become proper word of mouth hit. It started like years and years and years ago, and it's become more and more phenomenal and successful. People love it. It's basically people are competing against quiz geniuses, kind of like six or seven of the most. Uh, kind of accomplished quizzes in the country and and each one they take on a team of normal people or celebrities and they try and out chase each other answering general knowledge questions this sounds very boring and let me tell you Boyd not as good as my new favourite game show which is coming to Disney Plus which is called Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge hosted by Jar Jar Binks himself Ahmed Best this is absolutely true what Ahmed Best <laughs> is going to be hosting a Jedi Temple Challenge game show on Disney Plus wow what? What, a series? Yes, yes, absolutely. It has been greenlit for Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's the new Star That's... Wars show coming to that channel, and it is, is it, Jar Jar like Binks. members of the public enter it? Can they be... Can you well, it's be kids, it's kids, it's kids. Oh, it's kids. kids. But basically, it puts them through... So imagine, from what I, from what I gather, bre- reading very briefly the synopsis, it seems like Jar Jar Binks, not in character, just Ahmed Best, uh, hosts, well, I mean, host, yeah. like... A, men- a Star Wars themed American Ninja Warrior for children. That seems to be what it is, where they do Jedi challenges. Wow. And in like an attempt to become Jedi. I can only assume. Moving things with their minds, cutting people up with lightsabers, you know, that kind of stuff. If you apply. Um, I, I am going to apply. Um, and But, but there's a nice edge to this. I really love that Ahmed Best is doing this because. Ahmed Best has come a bit full circle with Star Wars, where he went through a really difficult time after The Phantom Menace, and he's written about this, and because of the, the backlash to start to Jar Jar Binks. I think gradually, as the Binks backlash has receded and sort of people have sort of accepted that character more, I think he's been more embraced by the fan base, and now he's, he's coming back and he's doing Star Wars stuff on Disney+. Plus. So, you know, it's a nice, happy, happy ending for Jar Jar Binks. Hmm, that's, that's nice. There's more Star Wars news. you want to hear it? Go on. Okay, so after last week telling everyone that The Mandalorian was a half-hour TV show, many people took great pride in jumping on Twitter this week to tell me that the one episode after was, like, longer than that. How long? I don't know. I think someone said it was 40-something minutes. Brilliant. So, so it all, does differ. The, the, they're thoroughly inconsistent <laughs> with the length. But that's not the news. The news that has dropped that's is that... not the news. Chapter 7, episode 7, when that airs, will apparently include a sneak peek of The Rise of Skywalker. So it will tie in. What do you mean a sneak peek? Oh, I don't know. It's unclear to me. Yeah. <laughs> it just they just said this will include a sneak peek. Does that mean it's you know there'll be something in there that ties into it, or will there just be a trailer on the front? I genuinely don't know. I mean, it would make sense if there. I mean, Christ, could they put something in there that would be a narrative link? I mean, it's chronologically, it's 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 not a million miles no. away. So and that would I mean that would be immensely clever, right? Because their whole proposition has been with Disney Plus, you have to get Disney Plus to fully understand the cinematic offerings and you have to see the cinematic offerings to fully understand Disney Plus. So if they're going to actually prove that and show that there can be narrative lineage between the shows and the films, Mm. I mean, it's quite a balls out way to do it straight off the bat, isn't it? Does this mean they'll be showing an episode of The Mandalorian before the screenings of uh, Rise of Skywalker? (laughs) Who knows? Because they were all on board. Who knows? So, but that's the thing that happens. Mm. Chapter seven, this will be. This will be chapter, the penultimate episode. Okay. And those, those, that little Yoda thing's become a phenomenon, isn't it? Baby Yoda has become the most gift thing on the yeah. internet. It's ridiculous. There is a Funko Pop Baby Yoda now available, uh, which is as cute as you would imagine. Uh, have Patri- you got one? I do not have one. Patricia Arquette was tweeting about Baby Yoda a couple of days ago, which was I insane. I mean, everyone is, aren't they? Oh, is it Meryl Streep has talked yeah. about Baby yeah, Yoda? It's, kind of a proper, it's it's. they must be quite happy they decided to do that. 
I mean, yes. There must have been at some point someone went, why don't we put Baby Yoda in? And they went, oh, yeah. They went, that's a bit no, of a lame work. idea. No, 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 <laughs> trust me, trust yeah, me. <laughs> so that the internet has embraced Baby Yoda. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. No. Any other news? David Tennant, after being announced as Dennis Nielsen, is now going to be Phileas Fogg in the same year. I mean, could it be any further apart? He's doing a lot of stuff, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, loads. Loads of stuff, considering he did Criminal, yeah. which we on Netflix... Another thing that I've forgotten what it was. Oh, no, he's in the Channel 4 show um, coming out soon, which they've screened already, and this, and, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. But Around the World in Eight Days, and I'm just like, which... Phileas Fogg, can you imagine switching between playing Phileas Fogg and Dennis Nielsen? Like, one's chopped up people, and did he eat them? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, regardless, he may or may not bad, have eaten them. Regardless, he was a bad man, <laughs> and the other one was an intrepid explorer. Um, so, and I, but I love. I mean, I talk about my David Tennant, Tenth Doctor fascination all the time. So I'm excited. Well, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> James don't, doesn't don't, give. Don't a know fuck. what. No, don't know what to do with that. <laughs> uh, Kristen Chenoweth is doing a Disney Plus show. What she, is it, James? Well, I'm glad you asked, Terry. It's called The Biggest Star in Appleton. <laughs> <laughs> What's it about? Well, Boyd, it's about a mother, wife, and waitress in Appleton, presumably just one person, uh, um, it, which is a place in Wisconsin, and she gets her deepest satisfaction from small-town stardom at her local community theatre. Her status is threatened, however, when a struggling New York chorus girl moves back home with dreams of her own. So they are in no way capitalising on the fact that Kristen Chenoweth is a many-award-winning Broadway singing sensation, you know, from Wicked. She's proper Mrs. Musicals. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I mean, her voice is incredible. So much so that when she was in the West Wing, which, of course, she had a recurring part in, she's singing that as well. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. God. Brilliant. But if she sings for no reason whatsoever, and I, this is absolutely true, and I know this, I watched this last week, for no reason whatsoever, while walking across the tarmac towards Air Force One with, uh, with uh, Congressman Santos, she starts singing Stevie Wonder for no reason, but obviously very well, because it's Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Also fabulous in uh, Pushing Daisies. Oh, yeah, she was very good in that. Mm. Did you see the HBO Max news? There's a few... H- HBO yes. Max are going to show the um, Russell T. Davis's new drama, Boys, Boys, which is filming currently as we speak yep. in Manchester, which is which means kind of has happened with years and years, which, which HBO invested in as well. Yep. It just means that the budget is boosted significantly. <laughs> I think it's one of the most, it's one of the most pertinent things. Yeah. So it means they can just do much easier to do what they want to do because his scripts are always very ambitious. Um, so I can't wait for that mm. to happen. That's a big thing. And also um, a new Lena Dunham show. Yes. yes. No, interesting. <laughs> now, it's, I, I was thinking about it. When I read this story, I was thinking, oh, this is, I don't know, slightly weird and icky because it's a teen show about teen sexuality and stuff written by an 18-year-old girl and directed and produced by her dad. Dad. And her dad's <laughs> done some movies before, I think. Um, yeah. So she conceived of it. Her name is Zelda Barnes. She apparently conceived of it with her dad, who was written and directed Films like Phoebe in Wonderland and that Jennifer Aniston film Cake that mm. nobody really watched. Mm. Um, and it's a, and it's a this half an hour, but yeah, they put it out there as just like out there representation of of teen life. Um, raw, it's about modern sexuality, and I'm like, who sits there with their dad and goes, "Hey, daddy, you know what we should do this weekend?" Um, and she's e- and Lena Dunham is EPing it. Yeah. Um, obviously, the whole premise of Girls was, you know, um, that she created a character who was the voice of a generation. It seems wise that this isn't from her because she's 
not the voice of a, she's may still be a voice of her generation <laughs> a generation <laughs> yeah a generation <laughs> but she's not but there's obviously a whole generation behind her how it you know we've just had euphoria this year which i think made absolutely brilliant telly in this exact area so how it differs, what mm. it explores, and sex that's education. different. And sex education. This is a really fertile ground that's shown yeah. that some amazing shows have come out of and what this will be. I mean, she said something about, you know, Dunham was her soul sister, her support and guidance. I mean, you know, Lena Dunham is is obviously incredibly talented, but arguably there hasn't been much outside of Mm. girls and what her EP and show like this looks like I'm not sure because mm. she's been busy she's been busy directing and making another show in Wales she's been living in Wales Wales which Wales is, yeah I know <laughs> which after she because she came can you remember that piece she wrote for The Guardian yeah where she'd about like, Love Island yeah, yeah where brilliant. she'd she'd just turned up she'd like run away to the to yeah. the UK and, and gone and lived somewhere up north or something yeah or, or by the sea or I can't remember but and now yeah she's done a thing about uh, her refugee in Wales. Yeah. It's she's on the Jonathan Ross show coming up on ITV. I think what the Christmas special which was shown before Christmas and so because she hasn't got anything to plug. Um no. I think they're kind of mates and I think part of the reason how they became mates is because they talked about Love Island together. They bonded on a Love Island WhatsApp group. James literally no idea what we're talking about. None. None. Yeah. I've never watched an episode of no. Love Island. No. Or or ever will. Yeah. Anyway, you know how I mentioned uh, uh, Kristen Chenoweth, who famously quit. We're back on that. Yes. Uh, who famously clearly had a transition in mind, and we ruined it by talking oh, by talking about our own stuff. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Uh, you know how she uh, quit American Gods when Brian Fuller left because yes. she was loyal to Fuller. Yes. Uh, well, you and Rian has joined American Gods season three. Who knew that series was still going? Um, I so, remember yeah. when they when they recommissioned it before um, season two went out, before mm. we'd all seen I didn't realise a bit. I didn't finish shit. season two. I won't no, be watching season three, but um, so you and Rian's going to be in it. Yeah. He's, he's good. good. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder who will play. I don't wonder that much. Oh, do you know? Oh, let, me, let me have a look. Let me have a look. No further details have been revealed. <laughs> oh, no, no. He's playing a leprechaun named Liam Doyle. You can't call a leprechaun Liam Doyle. Why not? Because it's like calling a leprechaun Irish Irish. That's really <laughs> offensive, is it not? Liam well, O'Doyle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, Liam Doyle the leprechaun. You and Rian. Brilliant. Uh, Lock and Key has got a date. Did you see this? Yes. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. So that's going to drop on Netflix on February the 7th. And Lock and Key, oh, look, Terry, expansively <laughs> yawning and stretching in her chair. I don't care about your Lock and Key based on your boring graphic novel. Blah, 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 blah. It's supposed to be really good. I've never read the graphic novel, but I hear it's fantastic. Yes, I hear the same from uh, Empire Magazine's Nick Decemnian. Yeah, he was banging on about yeah, it Yeah, he yesterday. was banging on about mm. it. Somebody's saying that the graphic novel was brilliant and he's very excited about it. Yeah. He, he thought we'd missed a trick by yeah. not covering it in extreme detail, <laughs> Terry. So apparently that's on you. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> um, any other news? Woody Harrelson, you see the Woody Harrelson and Justin Threw are doing the uh, HBO Watergate Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's going to be a Watergate series. From the HBO. team that gave us Veep. Indeed. I think that's the most exciting thing about it. I want to see that team's take on Watergate. is a really good idea, I think. Mm, okay. Limited series, yeah. It's a five, five episode series. So, hooray. Anyone else? Any more for any more? No. No? 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 There's an Andy McDowell Queeby stories, but does anyone <laughs> really care? I'm, I mean, Queeby stories come <laughs> on. No, I'm, I'm done come with Queeby. I'm done with Queeby. I'm done with Queeby. I am yet. absolutely buying Martin Scorsese a Queeby subscription for Christmas, but uh, other than that. <laughs> Other than that. Right, that is the end of news. So it's time now, I think, for a guest. Should we have a guest? Let's have a guest. No! <laughs> 
Sorry, that was a rhetorical question. I should have been more specific. We're having a guest. He is one of the stars of Apple TV Plus's Servant, and we saw him last year in Sarah Phelps' adaptation of the ABC Murders, but he is, of course, best known as beloved Gryffindor Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter movies. He is, of course, Rupert Grint, and as we all continue to be obsessed by Apple's demented nanny horror, the Servant, uh, he popped by to discuss the show with Beth, and this is what happened. Congratulations on the show. I finished it this morning over my breakfast. Oh, no way. Um, <laughs> yeah, quite a ride, isn't it? Quite, you seen, you've seen three? Or? I've seen all of them. All of so them. I finished it this morning. I watched it at breakneck speed and it was mad. You seem to have the most fun of all of them, <laughs> I believe. Um, and I was wondering, what on earth went through your head when you first read this script? What, what was your immediate reaction? Yeah, a lot really, because I originally, I had, I got, I received one scene and it was this conversation between these two guys about a doll and some other things. And out of context, um, it sparked... It was, it was very intriguing to me from the outset. And when you add in M. Night Shyamalan, who's kind of a master of the genre, it, it, it does uh, pique your interest. And, uh, yeah, then I kind of gradually got... I think we had three scripts after that, and we kind of gradually got more and more as, as we started shooting. But it was... Yeah, I just never read anything like it. And the fact that it was so contained, it almost read like a play. Everything's in this house, and you never leave. And it has it just had so much atmosphere, and I loved all the characters, and they all had—I mean, they weren't—they all have these kind of secrets, and you just want to know more about them. Yeah, and I like that no one is inherently good or bad in the show either. Like, there's such care taken to to show every every side mm. of the story, which is really interesting. And what a cast as well, mostly British, which I love. Um, could you tell me a little bit about what life was like in, on set? I imagine it was quite intense. Did you did you have ways of kind of blowing off steam and, and relaxing during this, this, I imagine, quite intense shoot? Sure, yeah, and it, it was intense because, I mean, the subject matter is kind of very upsetting. It's quite heavy mm. kind of stuff we're kind of going through. And, but, yeah, I think humour is an important part in that. You got, I think in the darkest moments you do always kind of look for the look for the light and there was a lot of kind of fun I mean just I mean <laughs> the doll itself kind of quite shockingly creepy to begin with but it I is I want to come back to that funny. doll but yeah <laughs> um, so we had a lot of fun with that but it was yeah I mean and, and just being in one place this house they built this amazing set and it was a, a kind of a functioning house usually with sets you can kind of see how it's kind of put together and you turn a corner and it's you know it's you're, you're back in a kind of sound stage but this was a completely real house with flushing toilets the kitchen was fully functional it was quite an incredible set um but it was weird you had a, you had a, it was a weird feeling kind of you, you felt this real sense of relief whenever you left the set it had this very kind of weird kind of vibe mm. um particularly like rooms like the nursery and stuff it just it's amazing how that kind of affects how you feel um so yeah it was an interesting place to work and the fact that you never leave it is is something i've never really kind of you know you're used to kind of going on location and being in this kind of bigger world and uh, I, I really enjoyed that Amazing. Now, about the doll, mm. could you tell me how you were first introduced to the doll? Can you tell me your thoughts and feelings upon gazing upon the doll? Because I understand it, it, it is, that's not particularly extorted. That genuinely is a, a version of a doll that is given to people to deal with, to deal with these things. Yeah, it's a, it's a reborn doll. It's a, it's a real thing. It's, um, I mean, it's, I suppose you could say it's a form of therapy. It's kind of, and it is in the show. It's to help Dorothy kind of get over the loss um but yeah it's a, it's a, i actually i actually have one i had one years ago it was a, a strange gift i got and it's it's weird you can get them in all different kind of minds of vampire has these tiny little fangs but you can get like werewolves it's a it's a real thing 
But, do, you, um, do you have a name for the doll? I don't know. I don't really have much to do with it, really. It's quite... <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. You, you kind of... Unless they're weighted in such a way that it... You kind of... You kind of want to look after it, in a way. It kind of feels like a real thing. But in the same hand, you, you don't really want to touch it at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's a... Yeah, it's a terrifying object just to be around. Yeah. It was, it, yeah, it had its own kind of... It had a whole entourage... A lot of maintenance goes in. They're very kind of valuable, quite expensive things. They're all hand-painted. Even if you look closely, the little veins on the, on the face and the hair is individually put into each kind of little follicle on its head. It's, it's quite an art, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a horrible thing. I love that the doll had an entourage. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and something else that features very prominently in the show is food. Mm-hmm. Huge role in the show. I was wondering if you got to enjoy that food on the, the same level that we get to looking upon it, or is it show food? No, that was the interesting thing about this. Usually <clears throat> on a show, like, the food is just kind of put together like a prop guy, and it's kind of aesthetic. Aesthetically, it looks great, um, but you don't really eat it. But this this, this was different because we had a, an on-set chef, and actually Toby Kevill, he really got into the whole chef side, and he was, in his spare time, he was kind of creating recipes, and he really kind of, he worked in a restaurant before we started filming, and really kind of, kind of went deep into that and uh, yeah I mean the food was real it was I mean they're quite he's a chef but it's this kind of very kind of gastronomic kind of chemistry and this kind of like everything kind of had theatre and it's not usually things you'd like we had like you'll see eel and kind of haggis and some quite strange things but it was great how versed were you in Shyamalan land the Shyamalan (laughs) verse prior to you coming onto this and working with him Um, yeah no I've been a huge fan of his um, for years, I've kind of watched all of his movies, and I've always really—I mean, this genre is—he is the kind of king of this. He—he he really is a genius, and and just having him on set, he was just amazing to watch. He—he he has this real like—he really puts like there's a real buzz when he's on set. He knows everyone's name. He's such a kind of personable guy. Everyone loves him. But yeah, he's this eye for detail that is kind of incredible, and he storyboards kind of every single shot. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very meticulous, but it's, it's incredible. And it's, I mean, it really did feel like a play. Some of our shots were like five minutes long and it's, yeah, it was, it was a very unique experience working with him. And actually he was going to do a, I recently found out he was going to actually going to do a Potter film. He, uh, he nearly did one of, one of the, uh, the films. Um, do you know which one? I don't know. I don't actually know. I don't think. What what would an M. Night Shyamalan Harry Potter film look like, do you think? That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting, yeah. <laughs> he really does have this kind of... He's just so masterful at this kind of dark kind of world. And in, 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 he really is. He, he was great to work with. I really loved him. Without... Um, obviously, we can only answer this to a degree, but what do you think is going to scare people about this show? What do you think is really going to, to throw people off kilter? Um, well, I think it's a story that a lot of people can kind of relate to. I mean, it's uh, it's this family, and it's I mean, it's a story about grief. It's this kind of unspeakable tragedy that the core of the story, and it's yeah, it's it, it's a lot, but it's kind of it, it's mixing. It's, you're living in this kind of quite surreal world, really. As I say, you never leave the house. So it has this kind of quite claustrophobic feel, um, and it's I mean, it's not it's not a, a traditional horror in the sense where you kind of there's kind of massively jump scares. It's kind of this continuous kind of feeling of of doom really and, and, and a lot of kind of mystery so it's yeah it's it's an interesting one 
It's an interesting time for horror, I think. It's certainly had it's had a real year, both in terms of box office success and then real critical acclaim as well. Why do you think people are so interested and excited by horror at this particular time? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's something I've always gravitated to. I love, I've always loved horror. And like, I think people enjoy being kind of scared and a bit kind of weirded out. And also it, it causes great conversation. I think that's something that Servant will do. It's, it's something people can relate to and it's... Yeah, it's 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 a funny one, but I think and also this being just half hour episodes, you can kind of whiz through them, and uh, it's yeah, it's a very kind of it feels like a very kind of fresh format for horror. I think. And you didn't break character, you didn't break your like. I know that um, Emily has said you know he forgot that you that the cast were British at times, and is really quite freaked out when he goes <laughs> to Junkets and, re- and remembers that you're British. Like, were there any slip ups? Were you did you just oh, yeah. have to kind of? No, it's a funny thing. It's a quite it's, it's a hard accent. You think you know it because I, I grew up with kind of American TV, and you always you have that the sound in your in you. Um, but yeah, no, I had a great voice coach, but a few words kind of trip you up, like floorboards <laughs> it's just impossible and a few times we had to kind of like because it's, it's amazing like learning about kind of our tongues they completely they do something completely different in an American mouth so it's yeah I, I kind of love all that and it's another layer that you can kind of bury yourself in and it's it's a challenge but it's it's fun I think it's nice that you've got fellow Brits alongside with you undergoing mm. the same sort of and you've got such interesting, it's nice that you've got such individual relationships with all of them on screen as well. Like, I, I think the most interesting to me is your relationship with Toby. Yeah. Like, can you tell me about, I mean, a lot of it is just you two drinking a lot of wine. Yeah, we do like wine, yeah. I mean, Julian is, I mean, he's all, I mean, every scene I think I was drinking something or smoking something or doing something. He's just one of these people that, he's a real hedonist in that way. He loves to, he loves the pleasures of, of life and, uh, yeah, no, they, they, I, I love our scenes together because it's those two are kind of we're kind of the audience really. We're the people that are kind of quite grounded in reality, and we, a lot of our conversations are about kind of dealing with this crisis. And but it's all out of love. They love Dorothy, and they and they're, they're trying to kind of help her. It's all it's all for that reason. But their, their decision making is as, you, as the series continues <laughs> becomes quite questionable. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then M Knight has said he envisions sixty episodes of this. Are you, are you in? Would you be, if he asked you to do 60 episodes of this show, do you think you could, you've got it in you to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I want to know what happens. Um, that's what I loved about the show. Like, it was, there was so much mystery, like, even towards the end, we didn't get the last episode until kind of a few days before shooting it. So, And actually, now to this day, I, couldn't, I don't know how it ends, really. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of unanswered questions that I'm very keen to find out. And, and I love and that's what I love about TV is you're kind of developing a character over a long period of time, which is something I'm quite comfortable with, with kind of uh, the pot the potty is. Um so yeah, I feel I, I, I'm I just love being part of it. It's been it's been great. What what would you say what what is most important to you that you want people to take away from this show? Um I just really think it's it's something quite different, I think. Having a kind of something of this genre, on a half hour episodes on a platform like Apple, which I think is the perfect place for a show like Servant. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's giving you something, something very different. And, uh, and people are going to talk about it. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a great kind of springboard for conversation and, and, and things. So, yeah, and I'm excited to hear people's theories. And, it's, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of kind of mystery that uh, people are going to love to kind of work out. Yeah, definitely. I think you've really found, or you seem to have found your footing very strongly in television. And 
and this is something brand new for you. Is it? Is there anything else you really, really want to try out in kind of the TV world that you haven't yet, or anyone you really want to work with in that capacity? Because it's such an exciting time for television as well. Like the budgets and the talent now that are involved. Mm. Like, I mean, this is a prime example of of some extraordinary talent yourself included coming into the show. It feels like there's so much more possibility now. Like, what would you love to go out there and try? Yeah, no, I love I love TV. It's 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 really is something kind of quite special at the moment. I think quite an exciting time. I mean, there's just so much imagination out there. It's like you're getting really kind of great storytelling. Um, yeah, no, I, I I really enjoy it, and it, and it's fun to kind of kind of carve out kind of a journey within a character. And yeah, you don't really get with film. You can kind of you, you you know how it kind of the beginning, middle, and end. But this is kind of a little bit more ambiguous, and you can kind of find it yourself. And it's yeah, it's quite thrilling. Yeah. And then just finally, how are you seeing out the year? Have you got big Christmas plans? Are you going to sit down with your family and watch the end of this show and like <laughs> actually find out what happens? No, do you know what? It's funny. I don't usually watch. I I, I rarely watch things I'm in, but this I have actually seen quite a few of them. Um, which yeah, I'm really kind of enjoying, but no, this Christmas we're not. <laughs> I'm not gonna um, <laughs> gather everyone. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> probably not. But um, yeah, no, just I, I love Christmas. It's gonna do the same thing I do every year, but it's great. Just family and food. With food, but thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Rupert Grint, and if you want more talk of Apple Servant, then there is a very safe bet that will be. I think it'll be cropping up in our review of the year podcast before the end of this year. Can I just say, he is one of the biggest surprises mm, about that show yeah. because you think you know him and who he's going to be. And when you first turn up, you're like, is he going to be able to play this grizzled, cynical, hard-drinking kind of 100 fucking yeah. percent? Yeah. You never, ever think of Harry Potter when you watch him. It's, in yeah, it's yeah. like when Ron went wrong. Yeah, but it's, it's, I can't believe he managed to eradicate yeah, that character in yeah. like one go. He's very good. He's very good. Uh, but without really... <laughs> any more ado we should get straight on to reviews and let's kick off with the Traces. main event <laughs> it's not Traces <laughs> first Lord and Lord foremost it's not SVU <laughs> first and foremost this week we have The Expanse season 4 so newly rescued from cancellation by Amazon this show continues the adventures of Holden, Naomi and the crew of the Rossinanti which it has been pointed out to me was named after Don Quixote's horse so sorry for forgetting that um, this uh, this season sort of with, with these with these rings that I mentioned last week to the outer reaches of the galaxy now open you might have expected this show to sort of expand its canvas exponentially and become a much bigger more sort of space opera thing instead and I think this is genius they've done the opposite and they've cleverly scaled it down and this series concerns itself primarily with a group of belter colonists squatting on a newly discovered planet called Ilum and the RCE security forces that turns up to evict them and of course the Rosinante caught in the middle but all of that is by the by because obviously what we've all really come here for what we all really want to know is what on earth did Terry make of The Expanse? <laughs> I quite liked it! <laughs> oh no! I was not expecting that! I don't mean to disappoint you! Ah! My chair just broke! <laughs> it clearly in some kind of like reaction to me liking The Expanse! You've liked The Expanse so much you broke your chair! <laughs> I can confirm the wow. arm of Terry has flown off mid, mid flow, mid expanse. And it's in your hand. Yeah. Boyd, can I have my arm back? Yeah, there <laughs> you go. Um, I quite like this. And I'll tell you why. Right, so I still, I still can't quite tell you what was going on, even with your very tedious explainer <laughs> last week. Um, 
And I did read something that said, Christ, if you haven't if you haven't watched the previous three seasons, you'd be crazy to try and join at season four, as, as we have done. Um, so I kind of get that there's like, you know, some ships and <laughs> and there's like the good guys. I like that Holden guy, yes. Jim Holden. I really like him. I love his relationship with Naomi. The like character work is actually really lovely and real because mm. there's a whole bit where there's an awkward family scene there talking to each other via video and it's so real even though it's like you know not real (laughs) it's so realistic and so like what would actually happen in an awkward family scene when somebody shows themselves up their chemistry Stephen Strait and Dominique Tripper Tipper I think their chemistry is so lovely like I fell in love with them immediately so they're basically like going to another planet to lend support to a, a team who've gone, whose cr- ship crashed. There is a sh- there is a crash scene, yeah. which other than Castaway is one of the most realistic crash scenes I've seen on telly or film. It is like terrifying. Yeah. It is genuinely terrifying. Peril is really good. There's some like murderous locals at one bit. There's like killer. I think they're locusts or they they're like locusts. If if it was normally Earth or something, oh, fuck knows. There's like a fucking swarm of black shit coming at people. <laughs> Everybody's dead scared. There's genuine peril. There's genuine jeopardy. Um, it looks amazing. Like there actually isn't an over reliance on VFX, which mm. I really loved. It looked really practical. I'm not sure where they shot it, but it looked like a lot of it was sets and practical. This is this is the first uh, the first season that has extensive location work. It looks amazing. It looks amazing. I mean, even with so there's a most of it we have to say is they show each character in turn. There's quite a lot of exposition about hey, what have you been up to since we last saw you? Well, because well, it takes place I've, 18 months after season three, we should probably well, point that out. Yeah, yeah. and but, but there is a lot of well, I'm glad you asked what I've been up to because <laughs> I've been up to blah 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 blah, which helps people like me. But I imagine if you're an Expanse fan, I don't know if that's annoying. An expansionist. <laughs> yeah, if you're that's an... what they're called. I don't know, I just made it up. <laughs> it, but it actually it isn't that heavy. There are moments where it's heavy-handed, but actually, as you said, I, I appreciated the character work, the fact that they really kind of took you into those relationships. I, I cared about people from the get-go. There's a whole thing about refugees from space trying to, like, get somewhere safe, I think from what I could tell. <laughs> As they um, do. And I was, I don't know, I was really invested in pretty much all of them. Uh, there's a lovely bit with Naomi where she's kind of, you know, um, what, she's new to stuff and she's been training and there's a, there's a little scene where she stumbles and I just thought it was so beautifully done. So fuck me I don't know what happened but I enjoy, I quite enjoyed The Expanse and I think it's actually really well done Boyd was this your well, first Expanse experience? yeah absolutely yeah yeah 100% new to The Expanse I'm not an expansionist um, <laughs> I was I enjoyed it I enjoyed it quite a lot as it was going along I did find it I did find it very confusing I kept referring to your um, your previously on in, in last month. Which actually probably doesn't help very much. Well, a bit. It, helped it a talks bit. about no, it did help. broad <laughs> plot points which don't necessarily directly yeah, relate to this. Well, anyway, well, it, helped, yeah. it helped to some extent and then I kept checking with Wikipedia. But there is a lot, it is quite complicated, isn't it? There's quite a lot of different, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot going I mean, on. There's a big cast, mm. lots of different factions and 
Um, and and yeah, and as Terry was saying, lots of kind of people were talking about what they've, what they've been doing recently. But I tell you what, it, what, what I completely was converted. Why I was completely converted? Can you guess why? Well, the point at which it totally converted me was after the crash. There's an aspect ratio change. <laughs> oh my the god! The show goes, and you're talking about how it's gone from smaller scale. But actually, when they crash it on this new planet, it suddenly goes widescreen, two point four to one. Yeah, and it's like the whole thing's transformed, and it suddenly gets visually beautiful. And there's these huge, big overhead shots mm. of this planet, yeah. and the whole the locust thing yeah. happens, and they're all they meet these new people, and, and it suddenly becomes stunningly beautiful they, it was fine up until then I was enjoying it mm. but then it just becomes this new thing and I thought oh okay now I'm on board that to me felt like a deliberate oh by the way we're we, on Amazon now yeah, we've, we've got, got, got the money yeah. oh, completely um, and I actually googled it because I thought oh, am I imagining the fact that aspect ratio has changed and you know maybe it's it's happened maximum but then if Newsweek did a whole article in which the headline was aspect ratio change oh, in really? the expanse yeah I was like yeah oh, what, the they expanse, mentioned it. it's the headline the expanse season 4 swaps aspect ratio planet side <laughs> so it's a big, it's big news. It's big news. Big in news the world, the yeah, yes. in any world. And but I did, it is very well done, I have to say. Um, and I think clearly, and I'm, part of me is like, well, I need to have to go back and watch from season one onwards. Mm. I don't know. Oh, can I just make mention of? <laughs> yeah. And I meant, to, I meant to do this for some of the writing is yeah. bloody amazing. So um, there's uh, Shora Agdashlu plays, I think, a, le- yeah, a leader. Yeah, so that's Christian Avasaral. She's the the UN Secretary General, and she is fucking glorious. <laughs> So there were two lines I wrote down. One of them was, you know, having a very serious conversation with Holden. And she goes, she's like nodding. And then she goes, who gives a fuck? I didn't bring you here to talk mythology. And I was like, oh, my God, I must remember that and say it to James at some point. And then there was another bit where they're sending the rescue message, mission in. And again, she says to him, do not put your dick in it. It's fucked enough already. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, who is this woman? Yeah, that was my and favorite line in the you, show. You said last week, didn't you? Or, or somewhere that now that it's on yeah. Amazon Prime, they can swear... So they didn't swear yeah. back no, in the... So, so this is the thing. They are making the most of the fact that now they're on Amazon. But I think it's really smart because there's scatter swearing through in it. But she, as the UN Secretary General, gets 98% of all the expletives. And she swears like a trooper almost from start to finish. And it suits that character so brilliantly. Mm. And actually, I think it was a really smart idea to just drop it all on her. And like lines like that, like, Holden, do not put your dick in it. It's <laughs> fucked enough already. Amazing. <laughs> it's also good to see Bern Gorman out of Torchwood. Yes. See a new character, a doll. Indeed, he was yes. on the during the crash. Yes, indeed. and you're like, mm, and I mean, I'm suspicious he's, about he's, him. Ne- oh, well, he's never played a good guy in his no. life, has he? So, no. But uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. This is this is an odd place to start because it is a bit of a gear shift for this show. So the first season is very much a it's like a murder mystery with a sci-fi bent, and then it becomes a bit sort of militaristic and galactic. And this one has changed a little bit because it's a smaller story because it all takes place on this planet and yet they've tried to keep a lot of the secondary characters who are separated geographically relevant so they've drawn in plot lines from the later novels to try and give like Bobby Draper who's on Mars she's doing her own thing but they keep her interesting they keep her involved I think they've done a really good job of that so this is based on the books by James S.A. Corey who isn't a real person that is the pen name for two I can't remember the names but two uh, two science fiction writers um but yes, I really like this. It's a shame Jared Harris. We I know you really like more. it. No, this particular <laughs> oh, one. I'm reviewing yeah, the episode. Right. <laughs> like Jared Harris, you see on a screen. Yes, uh, that's oh, yeah. the closest you get to him. But what did you two make? So neither of you have mentioned the Belter Patois. 
which surprises me because <laughs> like they taught in this slightly weird the belta loda and it's like a weird combination I mean, of you're like doing it now oh, no, 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 no. no it sounds like it's like a combination of like south london and jamaica and a slightly racist chinese accent but this is how they talk like it's an odd thing so the idea is it's a weird creole that's sort of popped up in the asteroid belt but it's really disconcerting because it sounds like some slightly odd almost comedy attempt racist accent but it isn't i mean it's, a it's, sci-fi it's show, hard it's to understand common. but jared harris did it better than anyone else and when we interviewed him on this very podcast he was like you know he said they said you know what flavor of uh of like uh accent you want he was like give me the whole full full strength give me all of it full fat accent and he really threw himself into it which was loads of fun and thomas jane pops up in like kind of like hologram yeah I, th- I thought that would confuse you so he's uh he's part of he's like a proto-molecule alien projection who takes the form of Miller who's a cop who's dead in the series oh, okay. so that I mean that is baffling it's also not clear that he's imaginary from the episode that you saw yeah I mm. figured he was a ghost yeah, I, yeah, I figured, of, like yeah. a ghost or but he's, kind of he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a weird real alien he's a real ghost he's alive <laughs> no he, the character's dead but he's oh. he's only appears in Miller's mind but like he's, a ghost but he's not a ghost but he's not he's not a figment of Miller's imagination he is a thing that... but he's not Miller <laughs> So what, he's an apparition? It seems to be it's something connected to the proto-molecule, which is this alien... Don't don't worry about that. No, no, because I don't want to get to this. This this is going to put people off, and it shouldn't do, because it's a very minor part of it. But this, So I've watched six episodes of this. You won't be surprised to hear. What is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) And and it really really concentrates on the the tensions between the inners, who are like the Earth and Mars, and the belters, and how the politics and the system have changed with the appearance of these rings. And then it's, it's very sort of like personal and character led on this planet and Amos who's my favourite character who's the lovable sociopath but Amos is the engineer who basically oh yeah yeah who just will shoot you soon as yeah. look of you but completely amoral he's brilliant uh, I, yeah, he's is he the one really who was lovely... making sexist comments about the the woman you see that, that bit where he goes oh yeah she's, she's, a, she's a bit of alright basically that, oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah is that the, one, the one who looks like a bodybuilder he does look like yeah. a bodybuilder yes that's Amos um, no I thought it was really good but what, what you'll notice about this this show is like of all the science fiction shows that are on TV and have ever been on TV this is the only one that takes physics seriously <laughs> like <laughs> I mean no that, no you were worried about putting people off a minute ago <laughs> now bear with me bear with me so Joss Whedon's Firefly used to have a thing where when the ships were fighting in space it was in silence you just heard music because it's like there's no sound in space it's a fucking vacuum now Battlestar Galactica takes physics quite seriously with the way the ships move but this takes it incredibly seriously so the fact that the engine for example is stacked below the deck so it creates artificial gravity the way they wear grav boots the way when people bleed in space like in zero g you don't bleed the same way like they have like a team of people who consult with physicists to ma- f- physicists <laughs> with physicists to make this all if you bleed in believable. space nobody here no but it's like the idea that if if there was a hole in the hull of the ship and air gets sucked out yes it would get sucked out but it's not going to be like sucking you out because it's just atmospheric pressure so it's just they they, they there's a lot of attention to detail and i really fucking dig that clearly yeah okay well i do Good and it's physics. great and physics. it's Right. Go. Did I mention the creative swearing? There's there's something here for everyone. Um, no, I thought this was fun. I was I'm I didn't know that you guys would like this because there's a lot of uh, of planetary surveys and weather phenomena in this episode, and I wondered whether that would bore you. So, um, I mean, my 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 uh, what's the word? Bar was quite low. Right. 
and um, compared to Fire Escape, which I always thought it was basically the same show. <laughs> it's very different. It's it's so much better than Fire Escape. Yeah, there, are, there like, aren't any Muppets in it. There are yeah. no Muppets in it. So no. there is so much better than Fire Escape that I was like, okay, mm-hmm. like... Did you enjoy? Did you enjoy Bobby Draper's tussling with Martian gangsters? The sort of the subplot on Mars. No. Which bit? Oh, you've forgotten about it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Well, you hang on. You say names to me, and I've no idea who you're talking about. Do you know what? About. I'm just going to take the win. You liked it. You liked it. I loved it. The Expanse mm. wins. End of the episode. This was another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. <laughs> we are done. There is no need to talk about any other shows. No, uh, no, the Expanse no, no. drops on Amazon. Uh, nearly on Amazon. Yeah, Expanse drops on Amazon on Friday, December the 13th. Does it drop in its entirety, Boyd? I think it does. I think so, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. So I know sure. what I'm doing on Friday the 13th. Yeah. Well, you've got six already. I know, I've got four left to watch. Yeah. Um, that is the Expanse. So let's move on now to Traces which is uh, on the not-at-all-fictional channel Alibi. Uh, this one stars Molly Windsor as a young lab assistant who discovers that the forensic course she's taking may be using the murder of her mother as a case study. Laura Fraser stars as her boss and mentor with Line of Duty's Martin Compton, but I don't know who he plays because he's not in the first episode. But, Boyd, is Traces Aces? It is. He. Pl- I'll tell you who he plays. So he does appear in the second episode, which I have watched. Um, he is basically, uh, he's involved with, so part of the storyline is that there's been an, a case of arson in a club, in a nightclub, a nearby nightclub, which is what um, the what the main character, Molly's, Molly, played by Molly Windsor's um, bosses are investigating. So they're helping police, they help police investigate um, various crimes and they are the forensic experts at the Scottish Institute of Forensic Science, which is, I believe, a real thing. And um, just as in The Expanse took the physics very seriously, this show takes the forensic science very, very seriously. There's a, there's a whole set piece involving a toaster laid on its there side. There is, which is incredible. Um, and happened for real, like, you know, Amelia... So this is created by Amelia Bullmore, who um, uh, starred in Scott and Bailey. She's a very funny, very brilliant actress and she and writer. She wrote episodes of Scott and Bailey and she's written this whole thing. She created it and has written it um, from an original idea by Val McDermott, the legendary crime writer. And uh, Martin Compton pops up in from episode two onwards as this guy who works at the nightclub I believe and he will clearly become the love interest of the main character played by Molly Windsor and within as soon as they meet there's a scene in episode two where they meet and the, in, the instant chemistry is is brilliant like they, they're, they're very funny together they're very interesting together and they're kind of like they put each other off and then they're squabbling and then presumably I haven't seen beyond episode two they'll get they'll get it on and that's interesting because he's brilliant I think it's a really um, interesting I think the idea so the central idea Idea that this young woman is going back to where she was born, Dundee, but then she left because her mother was killed in strange, peculiar circumstances. Um, and she goes back and she gets this job in this forensic um, lab. And there, in their computer-based training manual, which you're on, on their laptop, she'd go through, you flick through, and then she comes across this case, which is exactly like the murder of her own mother, is a really clever, interesting idea. And it drives the whole thing forward very effectively. The best thing is the cast is she is brilliant. I love Molly Windsor. I love Laura Fraser from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Martin Comston is great when he arrives. So I think it's a, you know for, for it's it's UK t- so Alibi is part of UK TV along with Gold and Dave and those channels. It's in that kind of family of channels. So for this for this channel to kind of be commissioning big ambitious shows with quality cast and a really good writer at the centre of it, I think is really interesting and good. And I really enjoyed it. Terry. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> Not as much as I... Like The Expanse. <laughs> I, I definitely was going to say that. <laughs> Not as much as I believed I would. So it's, you know, 
this amazing female-led cast, yes, Martin Compton in it, which is really about these three women. Um, Molly Windsor is incredible. She was in Three Girls, and I just think it's such a fucking bright talent. All-female production team, Val McDermott, Amelia Beaumont. As Boyd says, it has so much kind of kudos and so many incredible people working on it. I found the kind of plot stuff Boyd's talking about, I found it too contrived to kind of get on board with it. Mm -hmm. So there was a whole like, oh, that sounds just like my dead mother. And there's a bit where somebody's holding a skull and she becomes convinced the skull is her mum. And I was just like... I found the suspension of disbelief I needed to get on board with that. And and everything, as you say, is driven by this conceit that she's gone back and there is um, this hypothetical thing. And it sounds a bit like her dead mum. And I I don't know, I just really struggled with it because I didn't quite believe it and it seemed like such a jump to me. And then there is so much kind of detail on forensic science. I love a procedural. I love a bit of forensic science. But I don't give a fuck about the toaster. And that went on for ages. <laughs> and, so, and there is this awesome thing going on about this at the same time, which I didn't really care that much about. Um, so I found the first episode quite underwhelming. And I only saw the first episode. And I should be really clear about that. And I got excited when I saw the trail um, for Martin Comston. Because as you say, it looked like there was this amazing chemistry. And... You kind of get to know her as a Mm. central character much more. But I wasn't massively sold by the first episode and I feel quite disappointed by it. I'll be honest. I was in team... I'm team Terry on this one. I found it, again, just very contrived and just not soapy, but just like, but daft. A bit soapy. A little bit soapy, yes, I suppose. It just, it just, it didn't, it wasn't sophisticated, really. It was quite blunt in its approach to things. I didn't really buy into it. And there is a sense that, like, I was trying not to giggle a bit because it feels like shit CSI, doesn't it? It? Like, but not in a bad way because CSI isn't great. But what I mean is, like, CSI, they'll go in and they'll be like, oh, look, like, yeah, we'll get our laser spectrometer and it'll bring up a DNA match with the salivary, this, that, and the other. And in this, they're like poking a toaster with a pencil. Now, hey, oh. <laughs> so, this looks a bit dodgy. <laughs> that's what I liked about it. I, like, I think, yeah, it is. It's more, I found that stuff more interesting and believable and authentic. But what I wanted, like, what interested me is the relationship that he, she had with her father, yeah. the relationship she had with her stepfather, with her friend I wanted to see all that and I didn't care who started the fire or whose skull it was I was just interested in you know the family dynamics because clearly she's been away she's come back there's a whole thing with her aunt like I, I was interested in her because she's a very compelling character she's very charismatic but I didn't care about the actual plot of the show <laughs> John Gordon Sinclair plays her father yeah legend from yeah. Baby's Girl and that's interesting yeah. right that whole dynamic and obviously they're not going to shit all that out for want of a better phrase in the first, <laughs> in the first episode and they were setting up that and the, and the clearly dysfunctional relationship with their stepdad and all these secrets her, that are surround her yeah. mum. All that stuff is super, super interesting. I found the rest of it really distracting and that is a problem because it's the premise of the show, right? But also, bear in mind, this is a show in which she calls up her aunt and says, did they dismember my mum? And you're like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> That, I mean, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Um, I watched the first two episodes as one. Interesting, like so, like uh, you know. So for me, so I can't even remember what's in in episode one and in episode two different. And I think, yeah, it, and I really liked it. So I'll, maybe you, you just get to episode two and it will because there's a lot more of the family and that mm. those interrelationships. Because well, I was stuff. like, it was, constant. It, well, that's the thing. So the first episode ended and it was like next week, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's Steve Arnott. I was like, yeah, now I want to watch yeah. the next one. I think they are airing them on on a Monday and Tuesdays consecutive nights. Okay, FYI. So you only have to wait a day. For you don't Steve. have to wait a day. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, they probably 
probably putting it all on. Actually, they're probably um, sl- yeah, they're probably putting it all up as well on the internet. If you want all to right. say it that way. <laughs> Well, that is Traces, and it drops on Alibi on uh, Monday, December 9th at 9pm. Alibi being, of course, an actual channel. Yeah. UK TV, probably UK TV. Yeah. As I say. But, but, we've put it off long enough. We should get to it, shouldn't we, Terry? It's time, finally, for Law & Order SVU. So, the procedural rape drama, otherwise known as Terry's Happy Place, uh, this comes into its 21st year of seemingly never-ending drama. Uh, it's now surpassed the original Law & Order uh, with an eye-watering 467 episodes as of last month. I mean, fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, I made Terry watch The Expanse, so I guess this is only fair, but I'll be honest with you, Terry, I have questions. Go on. So, does it always begin with that awful Batman voiceover? Yeah. The crimes of blah, yeah. blah, 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 and the yeah. victory and the oh men and women of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. You, what you've fine. got to understand is that and the chung chung. Chung chung. Right? Yeah, I know about the chung chung. The voiceover narration, which opens every single episode, and the chung chung are part of the formulaic DNA of Lord and Order. Lord and Order. <laughs> Lord and Order. Which make, which is what makes it so compelling and so comforting. So, to, just to be clear, the only Law and Order I have ever watched <laughs> is Law and Order UK with Jamie Bamber. That's the that's, only one I've that's seen. A bad, that's so, a bad precedent. But, but this began. So, okay, my other question here is. So, so at the beginning, some guy's leaving, and he does Crazy. something else. Is he from another show? Like, no. So he's been in the um, unit so he's forever been and ever. Of, no, no, no. Actually, not forever and ever. So he's been probably in it for four or five seasons. Yeah. But he's always wanted to be an ADA, mm. an assistant district, district attorney. And so at the start of this episode, what you see is them giving him a leaving party because he's moving across to be an ADA. Okay. So the ADA are the people who help them prosecute the cases when they've got enough evidence. Right. And do, so normally, so is part of the team the cops and then the other part of our team is the lawyers? Isn't that how it works? Well, the core, no. So Because co- that's how law and order works, Yeah, isn't because, it? and that's the whole premise of the show, right? Yeah. Law yeah. and order. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, um, the way SVU's always worked is the primary focus is the cops. So the SVU unit themselves, special yes. victims unit, I don't need to say you and unit. <laughs> led by um, Ice-T. Not led by Ice-T. In case you were thinking you might take this seriously, it's led Led by Ice Tea. He's not led. He's he's the deputy to Olivia Benson. By the way, Captain Olivia Benson. By the end of this episode, Lieutenant Olivia Benson. Before it's very that. hard to see anything except Ice Tea. I mean, and if you, by the way, want to Google um, Ice Tea SVU memes, he's had some of the craziest lines in SVU history. But so, and it focuses on the unit, and it's always been about the unit. Um, and Olivia's been in it. Him, Detective Benson. Playboy Mariska Hargitay has been in it since the beginning and she's risen up from being a rookie cop to now running the squad yes but there's always been a district attorney involved and that's changed over the years and this is the first time that they've had an, a district attorney from within the unit move outwards. And it's meant to be a whole new round of tensions around what happens when he goes over to the other side. Okay. Now, we talked at the beginning about uh, the beginning of the show, about the morning show, and about how an incredibly subtle, nuanced and skillful take on the Me Too movement. Now, that is... Not what this episode was. This is SVU's Me Too episode. And, well, do you know what? Terry, why don't you give your opinion on how this handles that particular issue? Right. So I'm going to say a few things. One of the things is that SVU, which has been going since the 21st season, 
has been talking about sexual assault and giving women's stories a voice for two decades, way before Me Too was ever a thing, right? So I want to say that initially, and I want to say that it's done loads of amazing stuff about having conversations about what is happening in society and um, violence against women. They do a lot of stuff in real life around violence against women. But, but this is not the finest example of SVU's work. I'll say I'll say a couple of things. One of which is each episode is a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the, the um, characters' personal lives are the things that kind of link in between the shows. But each case is self-contained, unless it's a multiple parter, which they do sometimes do. Each so each case is self-contained, and it is resolved within the course of one episode. Again, part of the attraction. Now, they start season twenty-two. With a Me Too episode, which they've said it is, it is definitely a Me Too episode, and it's actually called, just in case you weren't sure about that, I'm Going to Make You a Star. That is the name of the episode. Ian McShane and his teeth star as <laughs> Sir Toby Moore, who is a um, exec and a producer on a streaming platform called... Pick flicks. Yes. Pick <laughs> flicks. How did they get away with that? Just let me, like, let that sit with you. And I read a thing with one of the showrunners who said, actually, they didn't want to do um, a studio thing because it would look like Weinstein. If they did a network TV, it would have looked like somebody specific, presumably Roger Ailes. Um, so they chose something that hadn't yet had a scandal attached to it so that people didn't presume it was based on one person, <sighs> which I think is how they ended up with... Pick flicks, which is nothing like Netflix. Um, and so basically it's an exploration of him. He exploits a young woman during a um, audition. And it's about how he uses his power and influence with politicians, um, with law enforcement, um, the use of NDAs, how he gets away with this and has got away with this for years. Now, <laughs> it's incredibly blunt is that what we'd call it it has all the subtlety of a flying brontosaurus his I mean when he assaults the women it's like a it's and and SVU has done some really realistic stuff in the past it's it's like it's very cartoonish cartoonish. it's very cartoonish um and this is part of the thing with S3U, right? Is that because they tell a self-contained story, it tends to be sometimes a little bit simplistic because by the end you have to have some kind of resolution. And so what they've what they're tasked with is moving quite quickly through the gears of what would quite happen. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so. The the storytelling sometimes suffers from that. And I think this this is a case of where SVU should have dedicated, especially if you're going to tackle something which is essentially Weinstein, right? Mm. Who they name check. Who they they name check in it, which they often do. They often name check real life cases. Um, Then if you're going to do that, you do it over multiple episodes because there's so much to unpack. The NDA part of it, the being in bed with politicians part of it, the abuse of power, the structural power, the kind of um, the women that target it. I mean, there's so many different elements that go into this, which are all sped through in like 48 minutes or whatever it is. Um, This isn't the finest example of SVU's work. That's all I'm going to say. Right. 
Yes. James? I think that sounds fair. This has not a shred of subtlety to it. It was just, it was the most ham-fisted thing just ever. And I, I think it's really unfortunate that this comes right on the heels of us watching the morning show, yeah. which is so nuanced. Yeah. And this is just like, you know, throw bricks at wall, hope hit something. Just, it's, I mean, it was shit, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it was just I mean, shit. I wouldn't have got that far. And it wasn't shit. But it no, it's shit bad. for two reasons. It's shit because it deals with an incredibly complex issue incredibly badly and given that not being funny this is this fucking show specialist funny, right? subject you'd think that they'd have some idea how to deal with this as a subject matter which they clearly don't but also the thing that stuck with me most and I guess it's to be expected for a show that's in its 21st year this is television from another era this is just from they, this television just has no place in the world in which we now live where television Whoa, is so statement. high quality and so well written with such, you know, so much attention to detail that goes into these things. And they're so layered with so much subtext. And you've got to the point where TV is on a whole nother level. And it feels like this is stuck 20 plus years ago before TV got good. But it's a network procedural. It which is, is different but network to... procedurals don't have to be bad. Oh, I, right. I'm going to step in here because I think, I think it's deliberate. This is deliberately bad. No, 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 I think it's deliberately old fashioned. And yes, so bear, I agree. bear a few things in mind, right? This has been going 21 years. They've still got the same unbelievable title sequence. I know, yeah. I know. Which is literally that. like, I mean, that's the like something out of the bam, 70s. Bam, 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 the music, the Sub Hill Street it's Blues. Sepia. Yeah, it's, in it's sepia. sepia. I know. The Sub Hill Street Blues theme tune is still the same the the whole style of that title sequence is incredibly dated the the, the fonts for yeah. alone is like something yeah. from another century yeah. and the whole and the style of the show has barely changed because i watched it back in the yeah, back in the too. beginning because i'm i'm a dick wolf who's the whole creator of his creative some of the yeah. greatest shows in history and it's 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 stuck to not only the formula, but actually the style of the show. And that's a deliberate thing. And I think this is Dick Wolf and the, saying, fuck, fuck this whole, you know... Um, fuck TV getting golden good. age of TV. Oh, no, no, you. no, no, no. <laughs> fuck the golden age of TV, blah, blah, blah. We are going to be an unpretentious, down-the-line procedural. When f- we're not going to bother about... Tr- you know, I mean... The focus is the storytelling, the characters, and the cases, and the pace. I mean, you said it goes quite quickly. <laughs> I, I had to, it's so fast. I, I haven't watched an episode for years. I have to so I have to admit, but it is the pace is relentless, and it's quite funny to me when it's dealing with an issue like this, which is obviously of great importance, and it's always dealing with mm. issues like this, but it, it drives us through the story so quickly, you can barely, barely pause for breath to work out that it's all completely ridiculous. Like, they do stuff in this episode, particularly, like, what the what the cops do, like, you know, they go, yeah. oh, I'm just going to talk to the Harvey Weinstein-like character. It'll be fine. No one will care. We're just going to set someone up. The setting up scene was incredible. I was like, yeah, right, that's, that's definitely going to happen. It's all completely prosperous, but it's like, it's like the whole thing is like, fuck off, we don't care. We don't care about your, you know, your Netflixes and your HBOs. It is what it is. And I think they're very, and I think that's, and I totally get that because there are other shows that deal with this stuff in a very, in a very kind of elaborate, smart, clever, self-referential, like The Good Wife, for example, which dealt with all this stuff, deals with stuff ripped from the headlines Mm -hmm. very, very brilliantly. But it's a much more kind of, you know, wanky one might say. I love it. But the whole tone of that is very smart and clever and kind of metropolitan. This is a show for mid-America 
America. Yes, I think, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that in a kind of because I enjoy, I really enjoyed it, and I don't, and I think it, there's a there's a quality to it that you're not getting because I think it, there's a real skill to telling these stories in 47 minutes or whatever it is with ads and resolving the whole thing in that time, even this story, and I kind of went with it, and I and I and I had a pretty good time, and it touched upon it touches upon these things in an incredibly bold way, in a way to have him going, oh, he's here, there's this British guy played by Ian McShane, which is coming here from Brexit, and he's in charge of Netflix, whatever it's pop picks, and he's an ex-book manager, yeah. and suddenly I ended up in charge of something like Netflix. The whole thing is absolutely hilarious, albeit dealing with its very serious topic. I thought it was interesting that this episode was written by two blokes. I yeah. thought, okay, fine, they don't oh, give a shit. You like, not, they me. just don't care about all of those things, well, like Mar- being Mar- politically... Mariska Mar- 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 is, is amazing. And she's involved behind yeah. the scenes now, she's a producer. Sure. But Boyd is right, because it follows the structure, it follows, and it follows the same rigid structure, which is um, crime and setup. Then there's an investigation and red herring, and then there's an investigation. They get onto the right person, um, and then there's some kind of resolution. And that formula is so they never shift from it. They did one episode memorably where it was about he said, she said, and they ended it on the moment the foreman of the jury stood up and said, "We find." And you never saw the crime, so you didn't know who'd done it, which was the first time they'd done that. You didn't know if she was telling the truth or he was telling the truth. They were trying to do a realistic, a more nuanced, <laughs> realistic depiction of what would happen in a, in a sexual assault and case. And people didn't like it. And they they ended it on the moment the foreman of the jury stood up and said, we find the defendant. And they, end, and they were trying to make a statement about the kind of grey areas of sexual assault. Everybody went fucking mental. And I watched it and I was livid. I was like, I came here <laughs> yeah. for absolution and for resolution. And, the, and there's a really interesting thing about why women connect with this, right? And I think... Boyd's right. I think when you look at the viewing figures, this is unashamedly mass market TV done in that in that formulaic way. You know what you're getting every week when you tune in. But something really interesting in in um, me and all my friends love this show, right? We're not middle America, <laughs> and all the women in New York and LA oh, yeah, love this yeah, show, yeah. right? And they're uh, they're urban women. Mm. And what they talk about is there is a comfort to this because especially when the world is so confusing and it seems like there's no justice and it seems like there's no morality and it seems like there is never a scenario in which what should happen actually does happen. And what SVU usually presents is some kind of justice that you don't necessarily see in the real world. There is some kind of rightness in their moral universe where things ultimately generally shape out shake out how it's meant to be women are believed women are heard powerful men are brought to account all these things that don't really happen yeah. in society are all played out on the screen every week and there's something really compelling and reassuring about that uh-huh. and, and without spoiling it the, the, the final scene is absolutely all, yeah. about, all about that I just okay I get what you're saying but I do think like making something to your point Boyd n- that is knowingly shit doesn't no, make no, it no, any no, less shit that's not what I mean it's 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 determined to not get, try and be what it isn't, and it's not trying to be um, to to love itself and to be aware. It, you know, it's, it's not trying, it's trying to be, be clever. It feels and smart. a lot like you're saying what I just <laughs> no, said, no, no, but no, with more words. It's, it's different. It's unpretentious, and it, it, and, yes. and, and but that's a good thing. Not everything. No, not because not everything has to be like that. And TV would be if everything tried to be like that, then it would be fucked because it's just not possible. Whereas this is a big mainstream. Um, 
uh, storytelling factory that Dick Wolf has. All of his shows, uh, actually some shows are probably these days more sophisticated than this one, but what I mean, this is absolutely on its own. It's sticking to its guns. It's doing what it's done since it's 21 years ago. And I like that. I admire that. I mean, why should it change? The only thing I will say is... Because it still is, works. It still works. This is still <laughs> going after 21 years. So clearly somebody's watching it and a lot of people, yeah, otherwise it wouldn't still people. be running. people. Which is a damning indictment <laughs> of not. the world, in my opinion. But... But and I think if I'd seen an average episode of SVU and this had been it, I'd have been like, oh, this is shit. But sure, someone's watching I'm this. Say something Fine. Now. This is like Martin Scorsese <laughs> saying that Marvel films aren't aren't cinema. It's not it really TV, is. boys. It's Law and Order. SVU is TV, <laughs> and it's good TV, and it's just as valid as I don't know the OA and whatever. none of that. Everything you just said is wrong. To quote Luke Skywalker. Um, no. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but but. <laughs> The thing is, the thing is, all of these things aside, I'd still feel that if you are going to have a show that specialises in sexual misconduct and you are going to deal with this very hot button topic, do it halfway competently. You know, do it properly. Like, regardless of what you think of this show and Dick Wolf and the way it's structured and everything, this was a fucking awful attempt to tackle the Me Too subject. And if you're going to, if that's not what you do, if you are not sophisticated, if you're not, just don't do it. Leave it alone and do your own thing. But I think tackling this subject, and tackling it like this was a shit thing to do. I think for this, I'll tell you what, for this audience, I think some of what they do is actually really daring for who their audience is. Mm. I think they're not they're not going to be the HBOs of the world, right? No. They're not trying to make yeah. kind of like intellig- intelligent television for a certain amount of the population. They're trying to get the network numbers across America. And I think when they've tackled stuff in the past... Which is so out there for a network show to actually try and... I remember they did a Rihanna and Chris Brown episode really soon after Rihanna got beaten up by Chris Brown. And they referenced Rihanna and Chris Brown in the episode and they showed this episode. And at the end of the episode... But that's their way of saying it's not actually Rihanna and Chris Brown. Actually, yeah, like this one is actually Weinstein. There were, there, well, yeah, is. there were two... But they And they do the yeah. bit from the headlines. Oh, but they enough, have yeah. two, two R&B stars who are in a violent relationship. At the end of the episode, he kills her. She dies. Mm. And everyone was like... They just killed off Rihanna, but actually what they were doing is showing some of the possible inevitable consequences of staying in a violent relationship via the prism of one of the most high-profile relationship scandals in years. Like, they do tackle stuff that actually no other network show would tackle. And on the craft point that you made earlier, like, look at some of the takes. How they do this in a week, I will never know. They have, like, a static camera and the act, the choreography of the actors. Yeah, there was a walk and talk through New York. I was like, wow, yeah. I mean, it, it is on the hoof. Gorilla TV making. I, I, I really enjoy it. And I know what you're saying about the whole Me Too element, but actually, you know, it's not it's not that terrible a depiction of it. It's just doing it at a, such a pace. It's, clumsy. it's not waiting. It's not waiting. It's not kind of sitting back and going, oh, we're addressing this now in an in, in do it way. It just deals with it in the 46 minute format of this show. Well, and, that, it, and that is it. And there well, are elements of it. What it doesn't do is, and what we should say is, is I'd I'd be more on your side if this if the way they tackled it was in any way kind of disrespectful to women oh, or yeah, kind right. of but actually they go out of their way it's clumsy and heavy-handed in yeah, terms of, of the storytelling and the exposition and and the kind of plot development and all of that but they're really respectful in terms of how they tell the story yeah. and who they present as being at fault quote unquote and they're very careful about being really um, uh, on the side of women pretty much all of the time which I think is again very rare and I think I'd be much more concerned if it was like 
clumsy and slapdash and basically, you know, really kind of blundered around in that element of it. I just think it's not very, it's not very subtle and it's not very nuanced. It's not beautiful. It's mm. not elegant necessarily. Yeah. yeah, but not everything has to be elegant. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, <laughs> if you are in the mood to travel back in time to the late 1990s, then Law & Order Special Victims Unit Season 20 fucking 1 drops on Sky Witness on Tuesday, December the 10th at 10pm. 10 uh, also out this week, we should probably mention, Season 2 of New Amsterdam drops on oh, Amsterdam really? UK. Hang on, didn't you say this like three weeks ago? It's possible. You've, but it's, uh, you've definitely already done this. It definitely drops on December the 9th. So that's coming on December the 9th. I did, we didn't like the first series. I wouldn't advise it. You said that one. as well. Well, what can I tell you? I'm a bit basic, like Law and Order. Um, Four Weddings and a Funeral drops on Stars Play on Thursday, December the 12th. How we didn't get the joy of reviewing that monstrosity, I do not know. How did we not but, get the uh, joy? I blame Boyd. Boyd. I just blame they Boyd. They didn't send me it. Yeah, we don't have it. But Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, I've watched the trailer. It looks like an abomination against gods and men. But if you want to check it out, that drops on Stars Play on Thursday, December the 12th. And uh, and if you did not catch uh, Star Trek Discovery earlier this year, it drops on E4 on December the 15th at 8pm, which we mm. very much recommend because that's proper good telly. No, we don't. You, never... you liked it. Excuse me. You gave you liked Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> Order. 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 They're also Order. doing a Star Trek night, I believe, to celebrate. A Star Trek night, see? Yeah. That's better than watching fucking SVU, isn't it? Right. Okay. So that's should we have a pick of the week? Now this this is a rough one because none of us, none of us can pretend it's Law and Order SVU. I don't care. That's indefensible. So well, if it's one of your favourite shows, then I think you no, probably no, could. no. But the, obviously, it's going to be Terry's pick of the week because she's definitely going to watch it. But objectively speaking, the highest quality show this week. Is the expanse? You understand the nature of criticism. Is the expanse? (laughs) I put that forward as a motion. I'm abstaining this week. (laughs) Because you know it's true. (laughs) I like Tracy. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. Um, No, I'll allow the expanse to be pick of the week. (laughs) Good. Thank you. If you admit you're wrong about SVU. Absolutely not. (laughs) Right. Shall we. uh, should we sort of gently ease our way out of this podcast with a nice little banshee? I know you've got one, boy, because you prepared it last yeah, week. Yeah, prepared so, it last week. Yeah, so our banshee segment where we recommend an old show and Boyd has one pre-prepared. Yes, I, I, just, I picked this last week because I thought it was topical because it's political and also because it was a one-off feature-length drama that was never shown in cinema, so hence was not a film. Sounds a lot like, like a the film. Thing, like the uh, Glenda, Glenda Jackson, um, Elizabeth is Missing, that we reviewed last week, which we all really liked. And also I thought I'd pick it because I think a lot of people have forgotten. So people remember that... Um, that uh, Tony Blair was played quite frequently in various things by Michael Sheen, right? Yes, yes he was. But do you know, so you know, he played him very famously in um, The Deal, which was all about his deal with Gordon Brown. Then he played her, him in The Queen, which was that. Do you know the next thing he played him in? This is why I'm banishing, you see. The third, okay. and the least I think well remembered, was The Special Relationship, which was an HBO feature-length drama written by Peter Morgan about the relationship with Tony Blair and Bill Clinton. Do you remember who played Bill Clinton? Oh, God, no. Dennis fucking Quaid. Who was it? It was what? weird. Yes, it was really weird. And now I'm going to take you through the casting because it's so weird. Hope Davis played Hillary. Helen McCrory played Sherry Blair. Really? Yes. It was weird and bizarre. And it was all about kind of how 
they got together and how they got on and what it meant for like foreign policy. But it was really well made. It was directed by Richard Longcrane, um, used by Alexander Desplat. It was it was lavish. It was really interesting. Obviously, Michael Sheen was brilliant. Mm. Um, uh, it was just odd to see them see them all playing these roles because it was because the casting was so bizarre. And yeah, I'd recommend it. I think you can get it for about two quid. On your uh, on Amazon or whatever. I'd lo- I the would like to watch that. I've not uh, I've not seen I've not seen the deal either. I missed both of those. Oh, the deal was great. Yeah, mm. I need to I need to catch up on those. Okay, that's good. Good good Banshee Boyd. Thanks. Um, I would like to Banshee Big Love this week. Mm. Silence from I Terry. Mean, quite famous. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> All right. Look, fine. It's not my most obscure pick. What do you want from me? So, Big Love ran for five seasons from 2006 to 2011. This was an HBO show starring yeah, Bill... Yeah, for five years on a major TV channel. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you may not have heard of this. Keep, lis- keep listening. James. It starred Bill Paxton as uh, he was a fundamentalist, sort of a fundlend... A fundamentalist. <laughs> a fundamentalist who's a kind of vegan. No. <laughs> <laughs> An extreme vegan. That's good. Um, <laughs> he's not a fundamentalist. He's a fundamentalist Mormon man in Utah, part of a polygamous sect. And he has three wives, played by uh, Jean Triplehorn, Chloe Sevigny, and Jennifer Goodwin. And the show essentially tackled the sort of internal dramas of trying to juggle three intertwined relationships. For example, such commonplace uh, occurrences as what if he has sex with, for example, wife number three on one of the days belonging to wife number two. And that causes a kickoff in one particular episode. But it all there's all keeping it secret from the authorities and dealing with other factions of the church. There's a lot going on in this. So Amanda Seyfried plays uh, one of their daughters and Aaron Paul is in it as well. And he's, in fact, he is who uh, she, her character, ends up marrying on the show. Uh, Sissy Spacek. Ellen Burstyn and Bruce Dern were all in this. They were all, I think, Golden Globe nominated for their they have recurring roles. Um, but the real heart of this is is the family dynamics and and of course the legendary Paxton, who I interviewed for this a couple of years before he died. Needless to say, the Mormon Church did not appreciate the show as much as most people did, despite the fact that Mormons discontinued polygamy uh, in the 19th century that they're very keen to point out. There's a fundamentalist church, uh, sort of Mormon offshoot, which still does polygamy, which is what this show is kind of based on. But the official mainstream Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to give it its full name, issued a statement that included this bit. Despite its popularity with some, much of today's television entertainment shows an unhealthy preoccupation with sex, coarse humour, and foul language. Big Love, like so many other television programming, is essentially lazy and indulgent entertainment that does nothing for our society and will never nourish great minds. There you go. That's the official Mormon review of Big Love. So, there you go. Watch it for sure. It's loads of fun, but you'll probably go to hell. Uh, You can pick it up, the whole thing, for about £8 secondhand. Um, Did you ever watch it, Terry? Did you watch well, Big Love? Well, yeah. And, and this, oh, you were a fan? Boyd has to win because I've already watched all of Big <laughs> Have Love. Have you watched all of it? Yes. Oh. Oh. Um, and it's very good. It um, is good, isn't it? It's very, very yeah, good. Um, and uh, Boyd wins. Thanks. Okay. Great. No, I watched as well. It was good. But if yeah. you haven't watched Big if you are one of the people who hasn't watched Big Love, then uh, please do so. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Okay. Well, I guess that is it for this expansetastic episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to explain in great detail lots of more expanse facts for Terry's enjoyment, then uh, do feel free to do so on Twitter, at Terry underscore White. And if you want to SVU explain to me and tell me why I'm wrong about Dick Wolf shows, then I'm on at James C. Dyer. Meanwhile, if you have any thoughts about Arsenal, at Boyd Hilton, we'll happily receive those. <laughs> Not really, it's so depressing at the moment. <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, it is the festive season, so please do uh, gift us with five stars on iTunes. And be sure to return next week when we should be reviewing The Witcher. Except I have a feeling Netflix have imposed a rather harsh release day embargo on this one, so I'm not quite sure how we'll tackle that one. But to find out how we do, listen next week. Pilot out. <laughs>